All right, so last week we kind of did an overview of this series that I'm fixing to start today. And for the next several weeks, we're going to be here. And uh, so the title of this series that we're fixing to do is Gaining the Upper Hand. Look at the person beside you and say, do you need to gain the upper hand? In life, do you need to gain the upper hand of what seems like keeps tripping you up, stopping you, knocking you off the rails? It's like, it's like, it's my marriage. No, you just don't have the upper hand. I've got this addiction. No, you just don't have the upper hand yet. God's already given, Peter says, God has already given all spiritual gifts, everything that's needed. The problem is, am I appropriating them properly so that, so that I can get the full maximum things from that and I can get the miracles or the rewards that I'm supposed to get from it? And so what we want to be able to do in this is to be able to look at our lives and be able to, to constantly say, I know I've got the upper hand in this situation. Now, the first one we'll deal with today, and I know it's Jersey Sunday, and so the first one that we're going to talk about is simply this. If you want to change your life, you have to change your story. If you want to change your life, here's the first thing you've got to be able to do. You've got to change your story. I'm a Boston Red Sox fan. Have been since I was born. It was like going to happen because my dad was a Boston Red Sox. His family were Boston Red Sox fans. And someone would say, how did you become a Red Sox fan? Well, let me tell you the story. In 1942, you're like, what? No. In 1942, there was a guy by the name of Boo Ferris. Anybody heard of Boo Ferris? If, if you know anything about baseball, the award given to the best player in the whole state of Mississippi in college every year is given to Boo Ferris Award. That's, that's the Boo Ferris Award. So he was the considered one of the greatest high school Mississippi players. He played two years at Mississippi State and then went on to the Boston Red Sox where he played two magnificent years. In fact, the first two years he was in the majors, he'd won like 30 games each year, Went was voted an all-star the first two years he was in. He had like 30 and 5 records and 29 and 11. I mean, he was just the bomb. But now you got to know, how does 1942 figure? Well, because Boo Ferris went to high school. And in Shaw, Mississippi, if you can show a picture of Boo Ferris, that's Boo Ferris. Threw right-handed, batted left-handed. Well, the only problem was in 1942 when he was a pitcher in Shaw, Mississippi. Can you imagine this guy who was built like this in Shaw, Mississippi in this little bitty school? And, and it's like, who's going to catch Boo Ferris? In two to three years, he's going to be in the majors. Best major league pitcher there. Who's going to catch him? Well, guess what? There happened to be a young guy who was a boxer. In fact, he went on to win a gold glove champion in the state of Mississippi. That was my Uncle Wallace. Wallace was in the ninth and 10th grade, and nobody could catch Boo Ferris. My uncle was a catcher, and for three, two to three years, he got to catch Boo Ferris in high school. In fact, as Boo Ferris got older and, and died, them two would meet together, and they were lifelong friends. It, it, it is just crazy. So my family... From the time I can remember, because of Boo Ferris, 
and he was in Shaw, Mississippi, where my family grew up, the Lots, we became Boston Red Sox fans. Now that is a painful story because we traded away Babe Ruth to the Yankees. You always have to spit when you say that word. It just uh, puts something in your mouth. It's a Yankee. It's just, it don't come out right. It's like, it's like something gets in your throat. And so all of a sudden, we traded him to the Yankees. And for almost 80 to 100 years, we had the curse of the Bambino. Anybody ever heard of the curse of the Bambino? Well, I lived under the curse of the Bambino. We've lost World Series in the 70s and the 40s. Oh, but the worst. Guess which year I graduated high school? And it wasn't in the 1999. I, I know I look like that, but it wasn't. I graduated in 1986. When people ask me, they're like, when, what year did you graduate? I graduated the year Bill Buckner let the ball roll right between his legs and we lost to the New York Mets. That's all I remember about 1986. I don't remember graduating. I don't remember anything. But to a sports fan, all you remember is Bill Buckner going down. He couldn't get his glove down and, and the ball just trickling through and the Mets running around third and, and they win and ha! <laughs> Wasn't until 2004 that we finally broke through. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. The curse was over. We won. In fact, we won two or three more. Yankees hadn't won any since then. We've won like two. And in fact, in 2013, it was called the Year of the Beard. And we won the World Series. Let me show you a Christmas card we did that year, me and my family. If we've got that, if we can pull that up. I don't know if we got that loaded. Did we get it loaded? There it is. We all grew beards that year. Our family did. Even my daughter grew a beard, just to be able to celebrate the year. Can I tell you, I am a Red Sox fan. That's my Christmas card. I made my family dress up. They don't know it, but they're Red Sox fans, whether they like it or not. All because in 1942, a young man who pitched a baseball called Boo Ferris pitched in Shaw, Mississippi, and my uncle called him. That's the story. And through the pain and the misery and everything else, we finally became champions. We won our last one in 2018. This year, we're going to win another one. Lord willing. you got to have a story. Your life has to have story to it. And how you tell that story, I could have just said, man, being a Red Sox fan, I'm telling you, I can't tell you how many times people have Laughed at me. How many times people? In fact, notice the name. I probably can't pronounce it. On the back of my jersey is Garcia Parra. I was a Red Sox fan before. When I, when I go to uh, stadiums and wear this shirt or anything like that, people are like, oh, you're a fan. I'm like, yeah, way before there was all these other new jerseys and all this other stuff, I had this jersey when we were losing and not winning anything. And and they're like, you bought it back in the 80s. Oh, yes. Yes, back when it was bad. In the 90s, back when it was bad. But that's not the end of the story. See, Boo Ferris, if you would ask him, well, tell us your story. Okay, I pitched in Shaw, went to the majors, but he, he only pitched for five years. First two, he was magnificent. The last three, he only pitched a few innings, a few games. In fact, the last... 
game he pitched was a starting game of the first of the year in 1950. He only lasted one inning. You think, oh man, that's pitiful. He pitched two good years and it's okay. He came back to Shaw, Mississippi with his wife, had two children. Oh, guess what? He was the coach of Delta State and later went on and helped assistant coach at Mississippi State and went back to Delta State and coached and has a record that's one of the top records of all time. Oh, and by the way, if you ever go there and look at the stadium, it's called Ferris Stadium. See, if you just stop halfway through your story or halfway through what's going on in your life, people are never going to hear all that God truly does. And too many times what kills us is that we don't know how to really tell our story. And if you don't know how to tell your story, if your story ends with, well, it, this is it, this is the way it ends, this is how then you're never going to see what God can do. One of the things about gaining the upper hand is that the enemy is always trying to write your script. He's already trying to tell you how it's going to end. He's always telling you how, it, how things are going to work out. And God is saying, I've got a plan, a plan to do you good, a, a plan to bring you to an expected end, a plan to bless you, not a plan to do you bad, but I've got a life, abundant life waiting for you. I need you to speak that over your situation. I need you to speak that over your circumstance. I need you to speak that over your kids. I need you to speak that over your marriage. I need you to speak that over your life right now. I, I don't want to just hear where you are right now. I want to hear the story. You've got to learn. So if I were to ask you today, sometimes we get stuck in our heads. We keep replaying this moment in our life. It's the same old story. Is that what happens to you many times? As you start to talk about your life, it kind of drifts back to that same, oh yeah, but you know. But there was, you know, I hate, tell me about yourself. Well, there's not much to tell because your mind immediately goes back to what identifies you. And we have a hard time many times breaking, getting unstuck from that in our life. So let me give you a point. The longer you hold on to your negative thoughts and your negative story, the heavier they will become. If you were to say, Pastor Lot, can you pick this up? Yes. The only problem is, if I sit here and I keep preaching, holding this, my mind will leave preaching. And all I'll be thinking about is, I'd like to preach, but I can't think straight right now. Because what I'm holding is becoming heavier and heavier, and it's shutting down the other areas of my life that I want to say. So you need to write this down in your life, because this is for some of you what holds you where you are. The longer you keep holding on to those negative memories, those negative thoughts, those negative ideas, that negative thing that somebody said about you, how they described you, how they, the longer you keep holding on to it, let me tell you something, the heavier it's going to get. 
And it don't just go away one day. You've got to decide that I'm through toting this thing. I, I know what my past was, but I'm not my past anymore. We're going to draw a line, and now I'm just living for the future. You have to decide in your life. Yeah, I came from a broken home. Yeah, but that's not my future. Yeah, I, I was an addict. Yeah, but that's not my future. Yeah, I, I had struggles. Yeah, but that's not my future. I'm going to start speaking over my future. Look at the person beside you and say, can you tell a good story? Most people can't. That's why, listen, when I grew up in in church, we used to have what we call testimony services. I know that sounds crazy. We would never dare have people stand up and start testifying now. They'd be getting up, well, I just want you all to pray for me today. (laughs) Devil's been after me, man, he's been working on me all week long. I love y'all. Y'all pray for me. You want to hear about 20 of those? But used to, man, we would stand, we'd praise God. God. God went through this. And sometimes it was horrible. Oh, man, we had this thing, but that's okay. God's going to come through. God, man, you're like, yeah, yeah, and, and everything. Now the only time we ever do that is in praise and worship. So that way you don't get to talk. We just get to sing it. Because if we told you to stand up and tell us your story, Well, oh Lord, here we go. You got to be able to change the way you tell your story. Or as they say in this modern day, say it with your chest. Get your chest out. Tell it like it is. Yes, there's some bad parts, but God is still on the throne. And God is still working things out every day in your life. In fact, you wouldn't be here today if God hadn't have worked out the last thing in your life. And if God worked out the last thing in your life, He's working on your next thing. So let me ask you some questions. What is one negative thought you often have about yourself? You need to be writing this down because you're going to have to wrestle this out. What is the one negative thought you always keep having about yourself? Every time you start to think positive, every time you start to speak positive, every time somebody says, hey, say something, you're going to have to grab that thing. How can I change this thought? You're going to have to create it in a positive light. That's what Scripture's for. It's to show you from the positive side what God has said about the reality that you live in. So how does knowing my identity in Christ then change the way I see myself. So I have to be able to find scriptures. I have to be able to say, now how does my identity in Christ change the way I see myself? doesn't change my past. That's that's done. But how do I see myself through scripture, what God has said, that I'm for you and not against you? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. When you keep walking around saying, well, I feel so lonely. How can you feel lonely when He's promised He'd never leave you? Something's not right. Either God left you and he lied or you've accepted a phrase or a thought that isn't true. Third question, how can focusing on positive change your story? It changes the way your story ends. At Pixar is is probably one of the best companies. And they don't even use real people. They use animation to tell some of the best stories that there are. And they are, they are masters. They, they outdo Disney. They outdo any other 
even, even real life actors, they, very few people can compare to what Pixar does. Let, let me see if, if you can remember. Uh, throw me up one. See if you know any of these stories. What is this? Bugs Life. That's like a 20-year-old movie. It's still good. See? It's still good. Bugs Life. Of course. Man, I love the, I love the, the scene where... Oh, what is this? Oh, Finding Nemo. Well, that was a sad story. A little kid got his little flippers too short. And it's just, that's, that's, that's just. What's the next one? Monsters Incorporated. Who could make a kid's movie about monsters and kids not get scared, but actually think, this is cool. I want a monster toy for my bedroom. Only Pixar. Only Pixar could do this. Do we have any more? Did we get any more? Oh. Yeah. Toy Story. It's amazing y'all know these movies. And none of these are Christian movies. I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> We're just going to leave it. So, so in our lives, we, we have this. Oh. Somebody know this one too? Up, up, I hear it from the back, from the balcony. Up, yeah. All these stories you would let your kids watch. All these stories you would, you would say, man, that's a good movie. We, I, I want to watch that again. I want to, I've watched Finding Nemo again. Why? Because here's what Pixar understands. There's six rules that Pixar does, and I'm going to help you tell your story about how Pixar tells their story. Here's what they said. Number one. You've got to understand that great stories are universal. The first thing you've got to understand about, about, about your story, it is universal. You're not the only one. Look at that person beside you and tell them, you're not the only one. You're not the only one that's ever been hooked on alcohol. You're not the only one that's ever done drugs. You're not the only one that got divorced. You're not the only one that somebody said is ugly and you're too short or too fat or too anything or too dumb. You're not the only person this ever happened to. Your story is a universal story, so you got to embrace the fact that you have a universal story that somebody in the world will relate to. And when Pixar is looking for stories, they say, first understand that everybody has a, a, a up moment. Everybody has a Nemo moment. Everybody has a moment. It's universal. That's why millions of people watch it. That's why we turn around and want to watch it again. It's like, I just love that movie. It speaks to me. I'm not even a fish. And it's still, I'm like, I relate to Nemo. I got it. Or his dad is what I relate to. Like, I got this kid, and I'm like, and, and it ends, the story's end with his dad sitting there with Dorian, and, and they're going off with the manta ray, and, and, and he's like, have an adventure, son. And it's like, wow, I want to do that. I want to be brave enough to tell my kids, go have an adventure. Trust that in the danger of everything out there, it's okay. It's, it's hard to get spiritual, but you can get spiritual over that. Why? Because it's a universal story. Let me tell you the second thing that you have to have. Great stories have a clear structure and purpose. Great stories. If you're going to tell your story, here's how you have to tell it. 
There once was a time. Your, your life story begins with, there once was a time maybe I was healthy. There once was a time I used to play ball. There once was a time I didn't have sickness. There once was a time, whatever it may be, there once was a time. All the stories begin with this this. Beautiful story of how it starts. And you know what keeps us from telling our story? Is we don't want people to think it changed. It's too easy to still have the facade that it's all the same when it's really not on the inside. Every day, this happened. Every day, it was good. Every day was... One day... Something changed. But one day, I got the report. One day, my kid went sideways. One day, they fired me. It broke my heart. Anybody got a story? Every one of you got a story. But one day, out of nowhere unexpectedly and because of that I am here because of that one day because of that one moment that one tragedy that that one situation now this is reality until finally Until finally, we found Nemo. Until finally, the boy and the man, old man become friends. Until finally, through all the conflict and discord, until finally, it all turned out okay. See, that's how your story goes. That's how every person in this room's story, that's why it's relatable. But here's the thing about your story, it has to have a purpose. If you're going to tell your story, it can't just be relatable. Here's what happened, here's what. But it's got to feel like, man, let me, let me tell you something. Let me tell you why the purpose is behind what happened to me. Let me, let me, let me say it this way. Why must I tell this story? One of our, our fastest growing ministries is our, is our Thursday night men's group. Fastest growing ministry we have in the church. And here's what they do. They cook. They invite a bunch of guys over there. They find somebody to share their testimony. And men come out of the woodwork to hear another man honestly, openly, with tears or whatever, share his story. Because it's relatable. Because it's understandable. And that guy is standing on the stage sharing his structure, sharing how, where it began and how it changed and what God did. And he shares all of it with this thing in mind. There's a reason why I have to tell my story. I cannot sit here and not tell you my story. I must tell the story. You have to get that mindset in you. What's this belief burning in you that you want other people to know? What is this thing inside? Why do you want to talk? I love to talk. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. 
Because I, I feel like I've got so much story. And if nobody else wants to share their story, I'll share mine. Anybody want to say something? Paul said it's good always to be zealously affected by a good thing. I got a good story. It's not about something I did. It's nothing I accomplished. It's, but man, I can tell you a story of what God brought me through and how God didn't give up and how God brought me to this place and, and he's not finished yet. And I can, I can tell the story. Number three, great stories have a character to root for. Look at the person beside you and say, are you an underdog? And so we don't like to look, we like to look like we got it together. But, but God looks for the underdog. That's, that's, that's what attracts God, is the underdog. The one that, that, that's like, I'm blind. No duh. I'm sick. I got an issue of blood. All right. He, he likes the underdog. He, he, he looks for the one that can't do anything, that can't do anything but cry out, that can't do anything to fix it, who doesn't have the strength to make it well. He loves to put us in battles all through the Old Testament. What do we read about? Battle after battle after battle. Well, here's the unique thing about every battle. They're not supposed to win any of them. Gideon's 300 wasn't supposed to win. And, and other battles that took place weren't supposed, the numbers weren't right. The situation wasn't right. Everything wasn't right. They were underdogs. And they went out and getting ready as an underdog, they ran at the battle and said, but God will make the difference. That's how the story is told. That's how the story gets told. Great stories. I, I love being the underdog. I love to tell people I'm not very smart. I love to tell people I was a D student in high school. I love to just push it down, push it down. Why? Because that way when people look at me like, well, how did that idiot get there? But God. I'm glad you asked. But God. He came through and said, I feel sorry for that poor thing. He ain't going to make it by himself. I got to help him out. And I'm like, go do it, God. Help me out. Give me something. Give me some. See, if you, you always got it together, God can't work with you. But if you're the underdog, if you're the one, man, I'm just going to get there. You know, people ask me when I go to conferences, I'll, I'll go to this conference this weekend. I got a pat answer for, hey, man, how's everything going? I look at him and say, they hadn't fired me yet. That's my answer. I always tell everybody that. And they just kind of give me that look like. And I'm thinking, you should be fired. <laughs> but they hadn't caught me yet. I'm still running faster. I'm keeping them more in debt than they can get away from. If I ever get debt free and everything's good, they may say, we're good. You got to laugh and tell your story. It's just part of life. Everybody's got it. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't run from it. Embrace the underdog. You are the underdog. Without God, you won't make it. Without God, your marriage won't make it. Without God, your kids won't make it. Without God, this church won't make it. Great stories then appeal to our deepest emotions. That's what they pull at. That's what they made the movie Inside Out. You've got a picture of that. I'll already give you all the title. Y'all would have knew the name. And all that movie was about was all your emotions. And how, how if we think to ourselves, if we always try to be what? 
happy, if we always try to be happy and joyful, we'll get through anything, right? But what do we find out in the story? Anybody remember? There's sometimes in life, only brokenness and sadness can get us through. The little girl was moved by her family to a new school, to a new place, and it, it, it bothered her. It hurt her. And all through the movie, she's trying to carry on this... this but at the end, the, the greatest part of the movie is where she just breaks down and she said, I know I'm not supposed to, but it hurts. And she cries. And I know I'm crying. Because I've been there so many times. I'm like, I look at people and I'm like, if you just, if you just realize the emotion you need to attach to right now is brokenness. You don't need to get angry. You don't need to get upset. You don't need to be confused. You don't need to be haughty. You don't need, you just need to break. And watch how quick that God moves into that brokenness and heals. Look how quick God will move into that brokenness in your life. Just break it. I ain't going to do that. Well, then you're going to hold on to all that anger and all that frustration and watch your life slowly twist and crumble. You'll have the coolest image on Facebook that somebody will laugh about out loud. Like, dude, that dude, we've been knowing he is that way for years. He just wouldn't, he wouldn't come clean. He wasn't fooling nobody. He just wouldn't come clean. He wouldn't be honest. He would never allow God to break him or to heal him in his brokenness. Another thing that they say is this, great stories are, have surprising and unexpected endings. That's what we are. We're a surprise. One writer says in the Bible, I'm a mystery. People can't understand me. They look at me and they're like, how in the world? I like that. I want people to look at me and say, how in the world? He can't even dress himself. But God smiles and says, yeah, but I got him. I got him. Number six, great stories are simple and focused. We don't need to hear all about everything. We don't need your 20-minute version of your story. We don't need to hear about how many whoopings you got. Just tell us you got some whoopings. We don't need to hear all the... Great stories are just simple and to the point. Now let me show you what I'm talking about. And go with me to 2 Kings chapter 4, and I'm going to show you a story, very simple story, but it says everything I need to say to you today. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Now, think about what we just learned, all that stuff you just wrote down. And let's think about this story. This would make a great Pixar movie. Here's what it says. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his his creditor is coming to take my two boys away as slaves. She's telling the story. 
She, she said, there once was a time when, when me and my husband and my two boys, man, we were in ministry, everything was good, and, and, and everything was rolling along, and, and you know, we were just do, working for the Lord, and man, I'm telling you, it'd be the great start of a movie. You could see them just riding along, visiting people, and, and, and doing all type of ministry, and everything was wonderful. She said, but there came a day when my husband died. There came a day when everything changed. And now on Facebook, I tell my story. People are always, well, you know, we're praying for you. We feel so sorry for you. And, and, and oh, it must be tough. And, it, and I get all of this thrown at me every day of how, oh, it must be bad to be, it must be hard. Anybody ever been... You don't even want to tell somebody you're not well because, Lord, you're going to get people that never even talk to you any other time. Well, you know we love you. I'm like, you don't even talk to me in six years. Now you love me? Now if you need somebody to talk to, oh, no, 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 we're not talking. We're not spending that much time together. It's amazing how when, when, when people know your misery and they know your situation, how quickly they'll turn and they'll say, hey, I, I'm your buddy. I'm your friend. Because they love to walk with you in the misery. She said, my husband's dead. And now because of that, bills have kept adding up. And now my creditor is fixing to come and take my two boys. All I got. She says, you know we love the Lord and we've served the Lord. And this is where my story is right now. But listen how the Bible says, verse 2, Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? And this is unique because he doesn't give her time to answer the question. He doesn't even give her time to answer the question. I love that. Because if he had said, well, how can I help? Well, if you take up an offering or maybe help me out. He could, have, he could have left it there and said, now you tell me what you think in your mind will fix the problem. Don't we do that to God? When, when we get the bad report, we got that gap of time that we give ourselves and we kind of sit in it, but we sit in it so long that it becomes our identity. And then we learn to love people and hate people because of that situation. Well, you know, if you cared about me, you know, I got an uncle who could write a check for it right now, but he ain't going to help nobody. He, you, done, you done walked it through your mind so many times and so many ways that, that you just have lost the story. That's what makes the movies like Finding Nemo so powerful because the dad is like, we're going to find Nemo. We're going. It doesn't anywhere in the story when everybody else is like, look, it's give up. Look, no, no, we're going to find Nick. No, we're going. And that's what makes the story so great is that he's never going to quit. He's never changing. And she's at the point where, what do you want me to do? And he said, Hope, before you answer that, let me go ahead and give you a story. How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? We're going to change your story. And then, 
and then. Tell me what you have in the house. And, and, and she's, she's still stuck in this mindset. And notice how it says this. Your servant has nothing there at all. She said, except for a small jar of olive oil. That's all I got. I got, I got one little bottle of olive oil. I got one little jar of olive oil. That's all. My whole house. I got nothing but this. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, your servant has nothing but a small jar of oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars and don't ask for just a few. Now, now you, would, you would think, here, here's the key now. You would think it is a miracle what's fixing to happen. It's not. It's not a miracle what's fixing to happen. Let me show you why. Go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Do not ask but for a, just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. It can't be a miracle when she already knows what's fixing to happen. Oh. <laughs> if God already said healing is yours two or three gather together touching anything is done healing is not the miracle oh man healing is not the miracle deliverance is the, if God says I own the cattle of a thousand hills like Bradley said a while ago taking care of you is not a miracle well then, brother, why do we call them miracles? Because the miracle is whether or not you can believe what God has already said about something before it has taken place. That's the miracle. That's why our prayer lives are no good because we, we just say, well, I'm praying. And then when somebody gets healed, oh, that was a miracle. No, the miracle was the fact that while you were praying, you weren't saying, Lord, please touch them. Lord, I'm believing for them. No, you start, God, I declare in the name of Jesus that that person's going to rise. I declare that person's going to come back. I declare that they're healed today. I'm going to get a phone call before the end of this week that that doctor report's already going to be good. Now, that's a miracle because people are going to look at you and say, you shouldn't say that. What if it doesn't happen? Then it wouldn't be a miracle, would it? But if God's already told me what he's going to do, then all I've got to do is walk it out. The miracle of building all seasons was never us building buildings or what we did. The miracle was God saying, here's what I'm going to do. And we look at each other and say, well, I guess we better get after it because if God says he's already going to do it, the only person that can mess it up is us. So we got to have faith to believe that God's going to do what he said he's going to do. Off. Some of y'all get that by 2 o'clock today. you you got to get that in your head. The miracle is not healing. It's the faith to believe that it would happen. To do that, she has to change her story. This little lady goes home. Boys, get over here. What you need, Mom? We need to go to every neighbor's house. 
And we're going we're gonna to collect as many jars as we can. I mean, collect every jar, empty jar, the, the dog bowl that's sitting outside, you get it too. Any jar you can find that's don't have, we're going to get them all together. What are we doing this for, Mom? Because the prophets done told me that we're going to lock ourselves up in there. We're going to take that little thing of oil and we're going to start pouring it out and it's going to fill up every one of these jars. Mom, that's crazy. It may be crazy, but I'm telling you, you're going to see what God can do real quick. That, that was the story. That's what he told. He already told her what was going to happen. Now, the miracle is can I believe that what God says will happen? Well, I believe He can do it. That's your miracle. Nobody ever doubts. Somebody says, You believe God can heal? Yeah, I believe God can heal. You believe God can pay your bills? Yeah, I believe God. And an old preacher used to say this year is, Tim, do you believe He will? And that hit me. I was like, what? I didn't say if he could. I said, do you believe he will? How you change the script, how you, how you gain in your life, how you, how you gain the upper hand in your life is you start believing what comes out of your mouth because it's aligning with God's Word. And when you do that, you're flipping the script on the devil. You're changing the whole situation. When the enemy comes along and says, you're going to die. Oh no, I shall live. Because God told me I was going to live. I don't know where you got your information. You got the wrong line. And that's how we live as Christians. Look at the person beside you and say, you got to learn to tell your story. you got to learn to tell your story. And tell it from the point of view that God sees it, that I have a destination, I have an end, I have a purpose, I have a plan. All three of those songs that they sung, I wish I could come back and right now close the service and say, come back and sing all three of those songs because every one of them had one theme in mind. You say it, it will happen. You speak it, it will take place. All three of them songs, I didn't tell them what to pick this morning and I was listening to all three of them. I'm like, y'all are preaching my sermon. You're already saying it. But the question is, do you believe what he said is true? She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. She did exactly what she shut. She right down to shutting the door. She said, we're going in here. We're shutting the door. That's what he told us. And they brought the jars to her and she kept. It was in the getting the jars. When somebody said, what do you need these jars for? The prophet's done told me there's a miracle coming and I need to borrow jars. Yeah, I don't know about that. I'm, I'm telling you, hang in there. She left him and shut the door. She poured, verse 6, when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. And I love this part because when you're walking with God and you're walking a journey with Him, listen, do not go any further than the last thing He told you. It's okay to stop and say, I just don't know what God wants next. It's okay. There are many times in my life where I reach a point and God just says, nothing. And I'm like, well, God, I, I did what you had. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Nothing. What do you do during that time? Well, here's what I'm... No, no, no. Just be still. Stand. 
and doing all you know to do, stand. And when you get tired of that, stand some more. I know that sounds simple, but it's very hard because, because waiting for the next voice of God is, is the next step, the right step to get you to the end of your journey. So here's what happens when all the jars are full. She did this, verse 7. Soon as they stopped, she went and told the man of God. She's got all this oil piled up in her house. She says, you boys wait right here. I don't know what we're supposed to do next. He didn't tell me what to do next. He didn't. She goes, he said, okay, what do I do now? He said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what's left. He says, I'm going to tell you how the story ends. I'm going to tell you why you went through and why you had to face everything you faced. I know it's been a journey. I know it's been a toil. I know it's been painful. I know it's been difficult. But listen to me. It started off with this is the way life was. And it moved into one day something happened. And then it landed on this place where the enemy and everybody wanted me to just settle and just not do anymore. And every one of those Pixar movies, that's that, that's that moment where, where, where the old man could just die. Or, or, or whether Nemo's dad could just say, that's it, I quit. But it's in that word that we get from God that we say, no, he may fail, but I ain't failing. He give me a word, I'm not quitting him. He'll have to fail. And what we find out is when we get to the end of that, and this is how it finally turned out. My life... I look forward to the day I get to go to the wind Thursday night and share my testimony. And I've shared it with some of my discipleship group and I've shared it. I don't usually share all of it. But in my life, I was raised in a good home. I was, and, and you would think to yourself, well, you don't understand. Let me tell you something. And this is something I live with every day. It takes a lot more grace every day of my life to keep me saved than it does you. Well, I've been an addict. That's simple. I chain myself to a tree long enough and get over that. And just bring me meals and just set them by the tree. You can break those things. But you have to understand I'm fourth generation church. All I know is God. All I was raised on was Bible stories. All I know is faith. I could fake it so good you wouldn't know the difference. And for God to come to me and say, Tim, you're not right. And you're worse than those because you should do better because you know better. They didn't know better. Bubba didn't know what I knew. I don't look at Bubba and say, Bubba, man, you... No. It took a while to get your footing. I already was born with footing. I already heard it every day of my life on Wednesdays and twice on Sundays. I knew. For God to come to me and say, you're the man. But Lord, look at so... No, 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 no. 
They don't know any better. You knew the good, good, good. You've known it all your life. You knew what my word said. And yet you rejected it. So my testimony is not one of, hey, he got saved at 40 or 50. Mine is, I got saved at 8 and 9. And I've had to walk out this trust and distrust, this believing and not believing, this... And God says, that's okay. You started here. You went through this. I told you I had a plan. You didn't give up. And look where I brought you. Will you stand? I know you got to get to your classes. Let me... Let me say a prayer for us. Father, in this room right now, there are people who need to tell their story correctly. They need to tell their story like this lady. Yeah, for once was a time life was good for her and her husband. But then there came a day, life changed. But instead of getting bitter, instead of getting harder, instead of blaming, instead of quitting, she ran to Elisha. She said, I'm still your servant. But I got something too big for me. I got something I can't fix. I need you to help me with my story. You say that I'm supposed to have a good end and you say it's supposed to work out and it's supposed to be a blessing. Well, I need you to tell me what I need to do. I need you to tell me how I need to stand. You tell me and I'll do it. I'll speak it. If you say that's the way the story is, then that's how I'll tell it even before I have it. Father, for that person in this room right now that has the diagnosis but doesn't have the answer yet, let them tell their story. That God is still faithful and God is still a miracle working God and God still overcomes. For that person that feels broken right now, God, let them tell their story. Yes, I've had pain. Yes, some people have let me down. But it's okay. God never has left me. And God will never forsake me. And God has good plans for me. And I'm going to see the end of this thing. God, for us that You have done things far, let us braggingly, with zeal, share our story. It's universal. There's people we're going to meet next week that need to hear that story. Let me tell you what God did. Father, to start flipping the script, to, to gain the upper hand on our lives, we first and foremost have to tell our story correctly. Lord, help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, if you get a chance this week, give that devil fits.